What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification like a long list of chores. See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention. How Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man, which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. Amen. Not bad for a New Zealander. <laughs> so next time somebody asks you, like one of my neighbors did a few months ago, what is your religion? You say, I have no religion. <laughs> I shocked him so bad. <laughs> because believers in the Lord Jesus Christ do not need religion. For God reaches out to us. He came from heaven while all the religions trying to reach out for a God. He came and He lived, He died and rose again. I know the outside often world often talks about people who found religion. You know what I'm talking about? I hear people, He found religion. This is different from a repentant sinner who talks about being saved through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. I read not long ago about a man who, quote-unquote, found religion. He had a checkered past. And so one of his old friends, one of his cronies, uh, had great doubts about this man's genuine conversion when he said he found religion. And so he called him to verify the information. He said, uh, I want to see if my friend really got religion or got saved. <laughs> so he asked him, he said, Joe, they tell me you got religion. And he said, I sure have. The friend then asked him, he said, uh, then it means, must mean that you're going to be going to church every Sunday. He said, yep, the last five Sundays, never missed one. He said, that means uh, uh, you're going to uh, not smoke and not drink and not gamble. Now, those are the tech points, you know what I'm talking about, for religion. <laughs> and the man said, yep, I have not smoked, I've not drank, and I've not gambled in the last five weeks. So... The guy wanted to be absolutely sure. And he happened to owe a lot of money to this fellow. So he said to him, he said, well, I suppose now that you found religion, you're going to pay back all of your debts to me. Upon which Joe exploded. I mean, he yelled at him. He said, wait a minute now. This is not religion. This is business. You see, Joe may have got religion, 
but he have not been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in every area of his life. When Zacchaeus came to Christ, he immediately said, I will pay back and I will give away. Romans chapter 8 tells us that a repentant sinner is one who is empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, not only to repent of their sin, but to live a new life in Christ in every way. Those of you who were here in the last message, Romans 7, and if you're visiting, like I tell you before, <laughs> you're like coming into the movie halfway, and you're missing a major part of it. So go back and download and, and binge, re, uh, binge watch the, the previous uh, messages. We saw in the last message, Romans chapter 5, that human performance is impossible. Then we saw the four pillars or uh, foundation stones uh, that will set you free from that performance of religion. And here in chapter 8, Paul is telling us that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we can never, never live an obedient life. Can I get a witness? The Scripture is very clear. Listen to me. Surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit gives you freedom from the control of sin. Surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit will keep you from the pitfalls of the old nature. Surrender to the Holy Spirit and surrendering of your will to His will will help you overcome the enemy's traps every time. Look at verse 1. Therefore, remember what the word therefore means? Okay, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that verse always gives me chills. Always gives me chills every time I read it. You see, the believer is no longer under condemnation. A believer is no longer under divine condemnation. But listen carefully, please, because here is where some believers get confused. Confusion number one. They confuse divine judgment, which that we escape from, forever and for eternity, with divine discipline. Romans 11, Roman, um, Hebrews 12, 6 says that the, way you, the indication that God loves you is that He disciplines you. Confusion number two is a confusion between deliverance from divine judgment uh, with divine accountability, in which we will be accountable for all the stewardship Beloved, hear me right. Believers never, 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 never will go to hell. Did you get that? Say amen. amen. They be, but they will be held accountable for their stewardship, for the gifts, for the time, for life, for everything that is given to us. And that is why the believer should seek to obey God with all of his heart. Oh, having said that, I understand that every one of us might fumble and stumble along the way, but we immediately... Because of that divine nature, uh, we dust ourselves off and, and clean ourselves sometimes even with our own tears and get back on the road. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. The Lord knows that obedience to Him can never take place through our own feeble efforts. He knew that. We saw in the last message that no matter how much you try to gin up your efforts, it will let you down. And that is why Jesus said in John's gospel, when I go to the Father, 
I send you the paraclete. I send you the comforter. Why? Because Jesus knew that we are no match to the triple power of the fallen nature and the fallen world and the fallen angel, which is the devil. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to every believer who surrenders his or her life to the Lord as Savior and Savior and Lord. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul gives us three reasons why the Holy Spirit is given to us as a gift. Follow with me, please. This is very important. It could transform your life from effort and hard work to total surrender. Three reasons as to why the Holy Spirit has been given as a gift to the believers. First, look with me, and they come in verses 2 to 27. I already covered verse 1, 2 to 27. First, in verse 2 to 4, the Holy Spirit ensures our liberty and freedom in Christ. That's in verses 2 to 4. Verses 5 to 17, the Holy Spirit seals our adoption papers. He confirms it. He seals it. He makes it. He witnesses it. He said, it's done. Verses 18 to 27, the Holy Spirit turns our groans into glory. Are you ready? Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit as a gift to indwell us so that we might live in liberty and freedom, not slaves. There are some, beloved, listen to me, there are some who teach that if you are warring against sin, there's something wrong with you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I heard with my own ears that if you're really warring against something wrong with your spiritual walk, absolutely not true. In fact, the more faithful you are, uh, the more obedient you are, the more longing for righteousness and hunger for righteousness you, you become, the more the battle heats up. Just like in the physical warfare, they tell me, I've never been in, in physical war, but they, what I read, it tells me that those on the front line, those who up in the front, uh, in fact, I remember saving Private Ryan. I remember the, 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 those people who were crossing, those brave men that were bearing the brunt of, of the German attack. Those at the front line are going to experience the fiercest of the heat of the battle. <laughs> uh, the same in the spiritual battle. Uh, even the most valiant soldiers are vulnerable to injury and discouragement. Hear me out, please. This is important. There is nothing wrong with feeling the heat of the battle. Can I get an amen? I know you're listening. I know you lost one hour of your sleep. But thank you for being here. I hear other churches are empty. So that says something about you. <laughs> there is nothing wrong about feeling the heat of the battle. The only wrong would be is when, if you give up the battle, if you give up the fight, the only wrong is when you hoist your white flag and you surrender. Let me put it this way. The Spirit-led believer, which should be every believer, the Spirit-led believer is like a seagull. The gull, when it gets ready to take flight from a, a, a steep hill or a cliff, first it gets gripped with the law of gravity. 
But as soon as it starts springing, it, uh, spreading its wings, another law takes over. It's the law of aerodynamics, which allow the gull to effortlessly soar. In the heat of the battle, it is absolutely vitally important to remind yourself that you're not in the battle alone. Um, this is something, beloved, I do, I do all day long, not just once or twice a day. I do it all the time. I'm constantly reminding myself that I am not alone in the battle. And I might begin slow because of the law of gravity. But then you say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you are with me. You are in me. You're about me. You are fighting for me. And all of a sudden, the law of gravity gives way to the law of aerodynamics. Can I get an amen? See, and the Holy Spirit is going to lift you up, and you'll soar above all sin, above your circumstances, above your fear, above your anxiety, above whatever is troubling you. Beloved, that is why God gave us His Spirit. It's His breath. It's God's Spirit. God the Holy Spirit fights for you. God the Holy Spirit defends you. God the Holy Spirit shields you. God the Holy Spirit empowers you. And that's exactly what John is saying in 1 John 4, 4. That's exactly what he meant when he said, greater is he is in you than he is in the world. Greater, can you say it with me? Greater is he who's in you than he is in the world. Let's do it with enthusiasm. Greater But something else you need to know here. God's gift of salvation, His gift of the Holy Spirit, come to us, not through His perfect teaching, perfect as it is. It doesn't come through His uh, perfect example, perfect as it is. But it comes to us as a result of His perfect sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. So many preachers today preach moralistic gospel, and they say, oh, just follow Jesus' example. Oh. Just follow Jesus' teaching. I want to vomit. <laughs> this is no more possible than telling a two-month-old two baby to walk. To try to follow Jesus' perfect example without Jesus' perfect Holy Spirit <laughs> will only lead to failure and to frustration, and it's impossible. And that is why Paul is saying in Romans 8, 4, believers' freedom from sin is only possible when you activate the power of the Holy Spirit of God in you. And that is when the Holy Spirit takes over. And when the Holy Spirit takes over, He convicts us, He changes us, He empowers us, He cleanses us. But somebody might say, well, Michael, how do I know that when I'm operating the law of gravity or the law of aerodynamics? Great question. I'm glad you asked it. I want to tell you three things, three questions you need to ask yourself, and we'll answer that question. First question, what is the thing that preoccupies my mind the most? Question number two, what ambitions that drive me and energizes me? Question number three, how do I spend my time 
and my energy. Beloved, the answer to these questions should tell you if, you if the Holy Spirit is in His rightful place in your life or not. Now, some believers, after operating on the law, with the law of aerodynamics, they fall back and operating on the law of gravity. Why? You're going to find there are two reasons. I know them true in my life, and I know if you think carefully, it will be true in your life. Either the Holy Spirit is being grieved inside of you by continuously living without regard to Him in sin, or by quenching Him by ignoring His teaching in His book, the Bible. Here's what I know about the Holy Spirit. He is very refined gentleman. Listen carefully. He's a very refined gentleman. He grieves easily, and he's quenched easily. Not only that, but he has to be invited. He has to be welcomed on a regular basis, not just to say, I did it, and that's fine. No. And that is why his presence in your life will make the world of difference between living in victory and living in defeat. And so the first reason the Lord gives us the Holy Spirit, His Spirit, to dwell in us is to ensure our liberty, to ensure our victory over sin, over fear, over temptations, over circumstances. Secondly, the Spirit of God is given to us as a guarantee. He guarantees our adoption papers. He's, he witnesses our adoption papers. He seals our adoption papers. That's what Paul is saying here. Look at Romans 8 again. Beloved, this is one of the greatest privileges for believers. It really is. Just focus on it with me, okay? In the first seven chapters of Romans, the Holy Spirit is mentioned once. You know, in chapter 8, it was nearly 20 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the physical world was created. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the physical world is being sustained. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, every believer reborn of, of Christ is, is created. You've been recreated when you came to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, He sustains you to be able to live in obedience. Don't ever forget the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a member of the Godhead. He's equal to the Father and the Son. I cannot understand the stupidity that goes on in some churches where they totally ignore the Holy Spirit. He's the breath of God. He's the breath of Jesus. Now, I know there's some confused people, and I met some of them, and some of them in ministry, who refer to the Holy Spirit as it. And, and one person I, I, I debated, I, I opened the Greek text, and I showed him it's in the masculine pronoun. But it's just an influence, impersonal power that emanates from God. This is rampant in some churches. Bro, beloved, this is a heresy. He is equal member of the Holy Trinity of God. Look at verses 15 to 11 of Romans 8. 
Every genuine believer is indwelt of the Holy Spirit. But you have to constantly welcome Him. He's indwelt you, but you constantly, He has to be welcomed. Why? Why? Why every believer is indwelt of the Holy Spirit? Because you cannot be adopted (laughs) by God's family without taking the power of your adopted father. And the, that power is the power of the Holy Spirit, is in His Spirit. And that is why Jesus said to His disciples before He ascended into heaven, He said, well, you have to wait, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive power. It come upon you. A mere religious person cannot be led of the Holy Spirit. Cannot be led of the Holy Spirit. Oh, listen to me. They may be moral people. They may be generous people. They may be conscientious people. They may be active in their churches. Um, They may exhibit many of the commendable traits, but they are not led by the Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit of God, who is the adoptive agency, (laughs) can sign your papers that are required to give you His power. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know our, inf- our finite mind sometimes cannot comprehend how the breath of God, the Spirit of God can hook up with our spirits. It, it's one of the things I'm really looking forward to understanding when I get to heaven. For that, I'm, for now, I'm very grateful. The one thing I know is this, God, the Holy Spirit, will not beat down the door of your life. He is not going to force himself in there. He seals a willing obedience. Did you get that? He seals a willing obedience. By definition, he cannot be coerced. Some people think that, but he cannot be coerced. Oh, but he can be invited. He can be welcomed. I often pray, I told you last message, when I invite the Holy Spirit, many times I talk to the Holy Spirit, as I told you on the last message, when I invite Him to work in me, I always say to Him, let your will dominate my will. Let your will overwhelm my will. Let your will bind my will. Let your will take over my will. Someone may ask, oh, Michael, uh, how does the Holy Spirit work in sealing our adoption papers? Well, first, he reveals the truth of his word, the Scripture. Don't ever forget that behind every person who is involved in the Scripture, in in, in the writing of the Scripture, there is the Holy Spirit behind the scene authoring his own word, the Scripture. He reveals the truth that's in his word so as to illuminate our minds, even a dull mind like mine. And let me tell you, I have a dull mind. And without the power of the Holy Spirit opening the word, His Word to me, I, I would not understand it. Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 18, he said he prays for them, that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened in order that they might know the hope to which Christ has called them. But also the Holy Spirit leads us by helping us being obedient to the Word of God. 
I try to obey without the power of the Holy Spirit. I've failed every time. Beloved, it is one thing to read the Word of God. It is one thing to understand the Word. So even memorize the Word of God. But it's a whole other ball game to obey the Word of God. I can show you from Scripture that the Lord is more pleased with obedience than sacrifice. Even in the Old Testament. You remember when, when Saul, King Saul, screwed up badly, and he cheated and lied and took the stuff that he's not supposed to take? And, and then when Samuel confronts him, he said, well, I'm just offering sacrifice. I stole the stuff so I can offer a sacrifice. He said to him, remember, God is more pleased with obedience than sacrifice. Ah, oh, there is a sacrifice that comes from obedience, but not a sacrifice as an excuse instead of obedience. Are you with me? There are times when I'm being led by the Spirit. I have prayed. I've sought the guidance of the Holy Spirit I, with all my heart, with all else of sincerity. I sought Him with all my heart, sometimes with fasting and, and in prayer. And then I can't see and I can't hear anything. But then as I look back, I see the fruit of His leading. I couldn't see it at the time because when you pray that prayer, overwhelmingly, He will work even if you can't see Him at the time. In the deserts of Arabia, there was a man who served as a guide. This is many years ago. I think it was in the days of Lawrence of Arabia. It was said of this man, he has never lost his way, not even once. He carried with him a homing pigeon or a dove, and was, had a fine cord attached to one of its legs. And whenever he's in doubt about the path that he should take, he would throw the bird, the dove up in the air, and the bird starts flying in the direction of home. Then the bird would lead him wherever he needs to go. This man became known, actually, as the dove man. Beloved, it's not a surprise that the Holy Spirit symbol is a dove. He is our homing dove. He's our homing dove. Whenever you lose your way, the Holy Spirit gently tugs on you and brings you back. Then also the Holy Spirit seals and confirms our adoption papers is by freeing us from the spirit of slavery. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and I would not do damage to the Word of God by saying daughtership. Sonship. And by that we cry, Daddy, Abba. Here's what Paul is saying. Sin brings slavery and fear, but the gracious work of the Holy Spirit continues to deliver His children from both the slavery of sin and fear. But you know what? I need to stop here, particularly for the young people, because sometimes you need to read the Scripture, and you need always say and ask yourself, to whom He's writing. 
Now, we are blessed by it, to have it in our hands, to apply it. But always remember that there was a reason. And every time any, whether Peter or Paul or any, or James or Jude, any of them, they always wrote, writing to certain people. And many of them would take something that is cultural, that is known in the culture of the day, and then they use it as an example in order to help them understand it in their own Christian life. Don't ever forget that. It's very important. And it's actually not more, it, 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 it is, it's not more important than it is here. It is absolutely significant to understand the adoption system in the Roman Empire. He's writing to the Romans. They're living in Roman society, living by Roman law. And you need to understand what Romans people did when it came to adoption. Now, in Roman culture, the father of the household was an absolute dictator of the house. <laughs> I mean, he was in total authority. An adopted child in Rome had more prestige and more privilege than the natural son. It wasn't the same in the Jewish culture, but it was in the Roman culture. So you got to understand this. Please, please stay with me, okay? Have I lost any of you? Have I lost any of you? Oh, come back. I know some of you dozing off. I, I'm sorry. Get up. Wake up. I think I told you the story before. When John Wesley was preaching and somebody dozed off in the front pew, and then all of a sudden he said, fire, fire. And the man woke up. He said, where? He said, in hell. <laughs> I won't finish that sentence. <laughs> Those old boys could say things we can't say these days. You see, Paul writing to these people who lived in the Roman culture, and they understood that the adopted son has more prestige and more uh, 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 honor than the natural son. You say, how come? Well, if a father becomes disappointed with his natural son, whatever the reason is, if he becomes disappointed, he will go out and search diligently for a boy to adopt. <laughs> The adopted son would have to have the characteristics that were lacking in his natural son. If upon the father's death the adopted boy had proved himself worthy, then he would inherit the father's title and becomes a progenitor of the family name. But wait, <laughs> there's more, there's more. All of the debts all of the financial obligations of the adopted son are paid for. They disappeared. They're completely eradicated as if they never existed. That's what justification, we're justified. That's what happens. God says, all of your sins, all of your offenses, as if never existed. Ah. But for the transaction to be binding in the courts, seven, seven Reputable witnesses have to sign off on this adoption paper. Have I lost you? Why? So the adoptive son could never be challenged in the courts after his father's death. Beloved, the Holy Spirit acts on behalf of the, the triune God as all of those seven witnesses. I, I flunked math. All the seven witnesses. 
And Paul takes this familiar practice in Rome, and he says to the believer, it is because of the immeasurable graciousness of God through Jesus, uh, our Heavenly Father adopted us, and He has given us the privilege of crying, Daddy, Abba. And the Holy Spirit witnesses the whole procedure. You might say, how do I know that the Holy Spirit dwells in me? Another good question. The evidence is in you having an intense desire, whether it be privately or publicly. That's between you and God to be able to cry out, Abba. Abba is a word that is filled with intimacy and tenderness and, and dependence, is devoid completely of fear or anxiety. But there's more. There is more. When God adopted us, the Holy Spirit sealed us. He sets us free from all debt. He took away the fear of sin. He took away the fear of death. And He gave us His Holy Spirit who continuously bear witness that our adoption papers have been signed, sealed, and delivered. Now, amen belongs here. No one could challenge these adopted papers. No one. No one can challenge them. Why? What purpose do these adoptive papers serve? Listen to me, beloved friends. Salvation is part of it. Forgiveness is part of it. Cleansing is part of it. But the ultimate purpose of our adoption is to be progenitors of our daddy's name, to be the progenitors, the inheritance of his glory. And here's some great news, some fantastic news. Satan can never challenge these adoption papers in the courts of heaven because he's forbidden from going there anymore. Amen. Look, look at verse 17. Now if our children, then we heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Now here's another fantastic news. You know, in our culture, in most cultures, uh, when uh, pa parents die, the kids divide the estate between them, right? They get a piece of it. Unless some of the foolhardies are trying to get the Sharia into America, and then the daughter would inherit half of the son. Read my book, The Hidden Enemy. <laughs> You'll be blessed. Your eyes will open. See, each child gets a fraction of the whole amount. But our inheritance with Jesus does not work this way. Each one of the children of God are going to inherit the whole lot. Everything that Jesus received by divine rights, we're going to receive by divine grace. And hey, you know this guy who owns Amazon? He's supposed to be the richest man in the world now. You know what I'm talking about? can't remember his name, some funny name. But what he has is not even pocket change of what we will inherit. Hallelujah. Let me ask you this. Answer to yourself. Have you reflected on your inheritance lately? Have you reflected on the glory that we will receive 
lately. I know there's some people waiting for some rich uncle to die so he can inherit a few dollars. <laughs> no, for me to die is gain. That's the best inheritance of all. The Spirit of God assures us of our liberty and victory. Spirit of God guarantees and seals our adoption papers thirdly and finally. The Spirit of God turns our groaning into glory. I'm going to ask you. No, no, don't raise your hand. I was going to ask you. Hands up if you don't groan. If you've never grown, or you don't groan, raise your hand. No, don't do it. Because you wouldn't be telling the truth. Look at verse 18. I consider that all our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed for in us. My beloved friends, what makes you groan today? I know what makes me groan. What causes you to be in agony? What, what, what is weighing your spirit down? God's Spirit is telling you today, listen to me, God is saying to you today, He can turn your groaning into glory. You have God's Word on it. All of your pain and hurt and disappointment, shattered dreams, all of your dashed hopes and abuses and alienation, all of your rejections and affliction, all of them, all of them like a puff of dust in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And Paul said, not only the believers groaning, but also because of the weight of sin, but also the whole universe, the whole earth is groaning because of the curse of sin, the consequences of sin. All the earthquakes and all the hurricanes, all the fires, all the storms, all, all the signs that the creation is groaning in travail. Since the fall of Adam, the earth has been convulsing and groaning under the curse of sin. But the good news is in, in Matthew 24, 8, Jesus said, when you see these earthquakes, when you see these natural phenomena that are taking place in very short intervals, you know it's like a, a, a woman in childbirth. You know that the baby is getting ready to be born. The new Jerusalem is on its way. Amen. Amen. They, they used to be once a year. Now they have every week. Beloved, as long as we live in this tent, as long as we live in this flesh, we will groan. We will groan. Different reasons, but we all will groan. We groan from cancer. We groan heart attacks. We groan from kidney failures. We groan from bodily pains. We groan because we are strangers and sojourners in this earth, and our daddy, our who's in heaven, is waiting for us to be with him one day. Because our adopted daddy is in heaven, we are anxious to be with him, and that is why we groan, longing for eternity. We groan because of what sin has done to the human body in terms of sickness and disease and disappointments and grief. We groan because of what sin is doing to others in public life, in social life, in political political life, and, and, and dividing homes. We groan when we see violence in schools and drugs and gangs and, and terrorism and, and denial by our political leaders. We groan when we see young people fail to acknowledge even today, and I'm talking about young people who are in churches, they say sin does not exist anymore. Only mistakes. We all make mistakes. The very reason for which Christ not only came and died on a cross, and hung on that cross is now being denied by some church folks. 
But here's the good news. All of our groaning cannot begin to be compared with the coming inheritance, with the coming glory. Something else that you must understand here is a contrast between the suffering that comes from people, that comes from the earth, comes from, from this world, and the glory that comes from God. Our suffering comes from earth, but our glory comes from heaven. Our suffering is short-lived, but our glory is forever. Our suffering is limited, but our glory is limitless. Our suffering is in this mortal body, corrupt body, but our glory will be in a perfected body, glorious body, body like Jesus is after the resurrection. Praise God. Praise God. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray, what to pray for. We do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that word cannot express. Let me tell you this as I conclude. There are times in my life when the Spirit groans in me. It's because I'm not so sure whether I should pray for deliverance or strength to endure. Many times I struggle to know the mind of the Spirit. So the Spirit groans within me. And I know He takes those agonizing groaning to the throne of the Father. And then he brings me the answer in due course. Do I understand everything about the Holy Spirit? No. Not in this lifetime anyway. But what I know is this. If it were not for the intercession of Jesus with the Father... If it was not for the Spirit's groaning within me, if it were not for the empowering of the Holy Spirit to give me victory, if it was not for His guaranteeing and sealing my adoption papers, if it went for the Holy Spirit's turning my groaning into glory, I would have been as lost as a goat in a hailstorm. Have you ever seen a goat in a hailstorm? But thanks be to God for His Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Thanks be to God for His Holy Spirit. Stand to your feet. I want you to say it with me again. Thanks be to God for His Holy Spirit. Father, whether a person understands what I just said or want to know and they're struggling you know exactly where everybody is, whether they're watching around the world or here in this place. Holy Spirit, nothing is hidden from you. You see everything. And so we invite you in the name of Jesus. Come, those who need be convicted, convict us. Those who need encouragement, encourage us. Holy Spirit, come, guide us, lead us, continue to dwell in us. Wind of God, pull our sail of life, 
into the direction you want us to go. For, Father, that is ultimate in our life. And when we try to get off in tangents and or get off in a detour, we ask you, a homing dove, lead us back to the Father. Guide us back home, for we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said amen and amen and amen.